Blog Talk Radio. Greetings, this is Cherokee Billy, and welcome to the Sacred Path Radio Show. Uh, we've got an exciting program tonight with uh, my special guest, John Almada. I hope I say it right, but joining me is my little faithful companion, Lena. Are you there, Lena? I'm here. How's it going today? All right. And I've had to enlighten Lena on what UFOs are, what's happening. This has not been an expertise of hers. So John <laughs> should be a great inform- informant for you tonight. And besides that, he's a good-looking man for all you ladies out there. So, hey, we got a good-looking man with intelligence. What more can you ask for, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a good combination there But before we yeah. start uh, with John, he's waiting, I know, patiently Thank you, John uh, I just want to thank those that are listening now and in the future And letting you know that if you would like me to answer a question If you have something on your mind We're going to be answering email questions uh We're going to be doing a program this Thursday on the new moon, and it's about love and how to attract love. And if you've got a question on love or anything else, you can send me by email your question. Go to my website, CherokeeBillySpiritualAdvisor.com. Scroll down to the bottom of the page, and there's a contact me form. You fill that in, send it, and we will probably answer your question. All you have to do is listen to the program. So I wanted to send that out there, but we've got a lot to cover. There's never enough time to talk about UFOs and the paranormal between the two. They're both such interesting subjects. So without further delay, let's bring on the one and only John Almada. Are you there, John? I think I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Are you having trouble hearing me? Nope. You're clear as a bell. Good. All right. Well, I gave you a good build-up. Hey, all the ladies listening may be really interested after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, why and not? No, you know, let's let promote whatever it doesn't. It, isn't the deal saying sex sells? You know. <laughs> oh my God! I'm 58 years old and um, I'm, I'm blushing now. <laughs> Well, hey, you're good-looking to me, and you're a young kid compared to me, so there you go. And you know, one thing that's good about being an old woman, you can say whatever you want. Well, I know. I, at my age, I can feel I feel the same way. Uh, you know, I was working in the defense industry for a long time, and I, I just uh, entered semi-retirement here about four months. And uh, now I feel like I can, I can really say what I want. I don't have any... Um, any uh, things holding me back, so I can really uh, speak out about the whole UFO and paranormal world and not have it come back at me with uh, a science career to be thinking about. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, really I'm going to be tonight. So. Good. Yeah, you know, and it's such a massive subject, and I know you know a lot on that. You've been a you're a ghost hunter. You know, you've got so hmm. many qualifications on this. So, uh, like I said, uh, Lena here. She's my baby in training, and uh, she does <laughs> oh, a yeah. whole lot. And I've I I told her to look up Roswell, New Mexico UFOs, you know, to start, because you know that's a good 
a thing when people don't believe in it, you know, that UFOs exist. So why don't you just tell us, John, what have you found? How do you know that there are UFOs? There's so many skeptics out there. Well, you know, I grew up in the business of aerospace. Uh, My father worked, uh, you know, in the United States Army, uh, Army Chemical Corps, and and I grew up with uh, all the people that were, you know, preeminent in the you know, whole spacecraft uh, industry and propulsion from, you know, the time I was born all the way, you know, to, to just a few months ago. So I was around all these people, and there were so many of them that had their own private beliefs. They, the same as me, you know, when you're in the business, you really don't talk about it much, you know, openly. I did kind of speak openly, but I didn't really push it out there. Um, you know, with my coworkers and things like that. But privately, uh, we all agreed that there was a lot more going on than what we were told. And if you stop and think about it, you know, I was I was think I was just down at the store here about an hour ago getting uh, some groceries, and I was thinking, you know, what uh, what do we talk about on the show? Well, I mean, the the first thing is, you know, the universe itself is um, roughly 13.8 billion years old, uh, give or take, a, you know, 500,000 years. But you, you look at the age of the universe and you start to realize, how could we be the only ones in it? And Absolutely. Then you take a look, and if you take a look at the, uh, the, the growth of propulsion systems from the time that the Chinese you know, invented rocketry you know, several thousand years ago to the current day, you know, 3,000 years is a drop in the bucket compared to 14, 13.8, 14 billion years. And so I believe that star travel is going to be something that you know, either we've just are on the cusp of achieving or, you know, have already achieved and we're not talking about. But any other race that's been out there ahead of us and other solar systems has got to have evolved to the point where they can, you know, cross the gap. And the evidence is so outstanding. There's so much of it that goes back into the ancient record. You know, literally things that we've found that are millions of years old uh, in the archaeological record, things that uh, like spark plugs and, and different things that have been found inside of geodes. And when they cut them open, here's a device that looks very similar to a, a classic spark plug. Uh, and Ooh. other electrical devices found in, you know, in million-year-old archaeological records. There's, there's a case of a footprint, uh, something that looked like a human footprint that stepped on a trilobite, uh, which is an ancient thing, for, uh, creature that lived on the, in the ocean 300 million years ago. And here's a footprint found in the town of Delta, Utah, that shows this footprint that literally squashed this trilobite. And the archaeological uh, community wants these things to go away. They're out-of-place artifacts is what they're called. And so, you know, human beings weren't around uh, that long ago. It, it was only two, you know, two million years ago we showed up in the, uh, on the scene in the, in the form that we are now. And... Um, so, you know, 300 million years, that says something. Now, that says either we've developed time travel and somebody walked from this era or, you know, in the future walked around 300 million years, years ago collecting samples and squashed this trilobite. Or we had somebody else visiting. And, and I'm inclined to think that maybe both are true um, because I have my well, own thoughts about time travel. But that's a whole different subject. Well, i got to step in and here for a second, if you don't mind, and say, I agree fully with what you're saying. You know, I've always said to people, how, like what you said, how can you believe out of all of the universe, solar systems, et cetera, that this is the only planet with life? You know, it's just yeah. it, it's impossible to think that way. 
you know, in my opinion. And then, you know, the evidence like uh, in the pyramids, you know, the, I can't say it well, hieroglyphics, you know, where they had pictures showing UFOs landing and different things go into that. Then you've got, you know, up at top of Machu Picchu, you know, that landing strip there. Come on. That's mm-hmm. way up in the, so high up, impossible for any machinery to get up there. And this is real ancient culture to begin with even today. And yet, why is that up there? There's too much evidence. You know, people don't believe, of course, in crop circles, but you can't deny that or Stonehenge or so many other things that are out there. I don't mean to step over you, but it's just, you know, this subject fascinates me very much. Well, I mean, you touched on a whole range of things that are exactly oh, yeah. um, right on, you know, that, I mean, the, the example of crop circles, um, you know, a lot of people have reported these, especially, you know, in the in the whole area of England and Europe, uh, where they oh, yeah. seem to, you know, predominate. And, the, you know, there's actually records going back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years of people seeing these mowing devils. You know, and they go out after they see these lights in the sky and they find that their their corn or whatever they were growing has been cut, you know, or the wheat. And even in this country, they're uh, they're being found. They're not found with near the frequency they are, that you know, though in England. England seems to be the center of this. And for whatever reason, that's, that's you know, where the, the vast bulk of them appear. But they are found worldwide. And there seems to be a mathematical uh, precision to the, you know, to the genuine, genuine ones that are formed that, you know, and when they examine, you know, the, like the different stalks and different things of these, they have, um, blowouts where they've literally been heated at a uniform, uh, level above the uh, ground and the stalks have laid down and they're still right. alive. They still actually are harvestable. And that's how you can tell the difference between that and what, you know, um, normal science, which really kind of puts its head in the sand on these things. Most uh, most scientists just want to make it go away and don't want to look at it. They don't like aberrations in their theories. They want everything uniform and explainable, and it's an easy thing, and they, they just go where they go. But unfortunately, the real universe is a dirty thing. There's a lot of dirty data out there and things that don't uh, fit into comfortable niches, and that's what makes uh, science uncomfortable because they want everything to fit the the uh, the, the norm. They want everything and on a bell curve, and that's not how the universe works. Part, not only science scientists, but people in general. Now, Lena here, when I I had her watch the movie Signs, and it freaked her out. You know, right, Lena? Yes, 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 indeed. Just seeing the seeing them come and kind of take over the whole house and it was kind of scary i didn't want to believe that that was true but i guess it was based on something true yeah and lena is new to all of this you know thoughts here and uh a lot of people are but you know what you were saying about how they you know mow down not mow it but how they level those crops with heat those are never cut you know they aren't cut that's right that's why they can regrow you know, there, there is nothing a human could do that could do that. Yeah, there was a couple of gentlemen that appeared uh, on the scene when this, uh, the height of this whole thing really was getting going with the whole crop circle phenomenon. And what ended up, what ended up happening was they said, oh, it was us. We were out there making these circles and we fooled you guys. Well, there's no way two middle-aged men in England could uh, account for the vast bulk of these things that appear overnight 
with incredible precision. And if you had any idea how difficult a crop circle is to to create, try one yourself. You know, go out and yeah. go out and try to make uh, uh, designs in the sand and do them to scale. You need to have not only an artistic temperament, you have to have something, um, you know, some mathematical and surveying skills to be able to do that. And not only do that, but to do it in mere minutes in some cases where there's been some that have appeared over by um, Stonehenge, for example, that appeared in a matter of minutes, this giant, you know, three or 400 foot circle appeared that it was absolutely pristine, perfect. And the thing is, too, when people go into these these genuine circles, their equipment starts to malfunction. There's things that happen uh, to the people inside of it. They feel the energy. They feel this difference. And yes. there's an electromagnetic force in the air that it seems to pervade with these for a while. And the genuine circles, too, seem to recur like a ghost of themselves. Like the following year, the, the farmers will grow in the field and a, kind of an afterimage will show up. And, and that's kind of how you know you've got a real crop circle. So, you know, the, and the question is, who's doing this? You know, there's actually some yeah. race out there, there's some civilization out there that's got a message for us, and they're using a technology that's just uh, incredible to be able to literally, um, if you think about it, they're using something that's like a dot matrix printer or an inkjet printer that just sits at a uniform altitude and then goes around making this design happen in a very short time. And it's like a printer, you know, a printer design. And when yeah. they look at the images, these images actually have mathematical formula built into them and they're saying things to us. And those who, um, you know, study, you know, geometric shapes and uh, have a mathematical background are, are often blown away because they see theorems in these circles, you know, these designs that are, uh, have been, been unknown and now they have something new you know, to think about. So they're trying to teach us. And there's something I think that's benevolent in that. Uh, there are species of aliens, though, that, you know, if we go back to just classical UFOs and we drop crop circles for a second, there's a whole series of races of these, these peoples that come here. Uh, you know, some of them are, uh, you know, the greys, of course, they're, and there's various dis different species of greys. But there are also reptilian forms, and there, then there are Nordics that look real similar to human beings and actually have walked amongst us for literally hundreds, if not thousands of years. So these things have been, you know, these people have been coming here, and I've got to stop saying things. They are people. They're just not yes. from our place, you know, and, and they have their own agendas for being here. And some of them are good, and some of them, well, they're not so good. And uh, it's just like anything that you have with countries and different cultures. They, some cultures get along great with others and are, are easygoing, and some are, have an agenda and are not there for your best interest. And so there seems to be this um, kind of a reflection of what humanity goes through with the, the, the trials and tribulations we have here on Earth is reflected in the cosmos. And I do think that we're going to find that when we move out there, that it's going to be something like Star Trek had, you know, where you had the Romulan empire and the Klingons, you know, and you right. have to make these alliances and you got to be able to get along and wars are going to happen. And, you know, you got to go out there packing heat because, you know, when you're exploring, sometimes somebody might shoot at you and that's the reality, you know? So I'm not surprised yeah, it's, by it. Uh, it's not <laughs> all, you know, everybody, you know, uh, like that movie independence day where the people were standing I didn't care for the movie, but on top of a building with welcome UFOs, and then they blew them all away, you know, and destroyed them. And it's like not all are going to be friendly, you know. 
you just gotta, you know, play it and see what you find out as to, to who's friendly. But you know, uh, speaking of this, you know, a good movie that really would help people who don't understand this would be going back classic old movie Steven Spielberg, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You know, because they used music notes to communicate. Remember? Yeah, uh, and music is mathematics. Exactly. That's everything mathematical, yeah. you know, and they're using it. And they are trying to communicate. It's just, you know, our little, and of course, you know, a lot of this is covered up, as you know, but uh, there's been a lot, like, you know, again, Roswell, New Mexico, that, you know, has been documented. People saw these alien bodies. Uh, some saw the crash. You know more about it than me. But, uh, you know, there are. That's the most famous that I can think of for me. Oh, yeah. In my understanding, yeah. I know you know more than me. Well, you know, you have Colonel uh, Philip Corso who wrote the book The Day After Roswell. If you want the uh, what I believe to be the authoritative book on Roswell, read that. Uh, he oh, came out in 1958 okay. and uh, appeared on NBC. I actually saw the, the broadcast that morning, and he said everything that you know I had heard from others in the defense business who had been talking privately. He said it out loud on you know there on NBC, and was you know looked at by the journalists like they were crazy. But right. you got to you know get, is it Colonel Phil, uh, Colonel Corso was not just your average military man. He actually had command of nuclear missile batteries uh, when we were going up against the Soviets. Uh, he, he actually commanded a whole nuclear missile battery out of, um, uh, I believe it was West Germany. So he had uh, complete authority to launch, you know, if the United States was going to get into a conflict with the Russians. This guy had nuclear, you know, the, the keys to the nuclear weapons. You don't give that to some guy that's just anybody off the street. You, you know, you give it to somebody that's got a... Um, has been heavily investigated and has been shown to be incredibly loyal. And, you know, he uh, ended up doing some amazing things because he was there in the Roswell area when this all happened and uh, actually saw some of the bodies being shipped up and, and shipped out to um, uh, Ohio when they were uh, finally crating it up and getting everything moved. And uh, later on, it, it, you know, it turned out that they actually knew that he had seen these things. He actually went over because some of the soldiers that were uh, under his command had actually looked in the boxes and wondered what it was. So they opened them up, and he went in and looked, and and he told everybody forget what they'd seen and move on. Well, he, he filed that away in the back of his mind, and in the early 60s, he was called to work in the Pentagon for um, a general who had a lot of uh, regard for him. And it was after his, his experiences uh, you know, dealing with the Soviets and uh, he was brought in and basically handed uh, the Army, got their little pile of technology from the Roswell crash, and they were given things like image intensifier technology, which back then was just kind of a dream, and they uh, some laser technology, which was just starting to really kind of take off. But they, you know, they got a lot of these technologies handed to them, and uh, the general said, said to Corso, what do you think we should do? And it kind of gave him an order to come up with a plan. So Corso came up with the idea that they would look at these technologies, take, their, take them around to experts all around the United States and, and elsewhere and get their best opinion. And then they would fold it back into the uh, defense and manufacturing infrastructure of the United States. So 
a lot of companies that came up with really inter- amazing technologies, you know, in the in uh, when I was just a little kid, you know, in those days, uh, Corso was running around flying on a plane and dropping these gifts from the sky in people's lap and saying, can you do something with this? And they would sign sign the deal and then they would go off and make these technologies part of uh, what we have here every day. You know, fiber optics is one of the big ones. Um, when that, when that ship crashed at Roswell, it had fiber optic technology controlling how it operated. And so they had a big dense bundle of this, this stuff that was thrown in the, uh, the kit that the army got and they took it around and came up with, uh, you know, the idea that lasers and fiber optics could really revolutionize electronics. And now here we are, I mean, you and I are literally talking on, technology right now you know through, uh, here on Skype and talking through you know blog talk radio we're talking on technology recovered from Roswell and you use it every day in your computer technology you have you know it's affecting you and everybody else on the planet because this stuff just fell out of the sky one day so yeah, and we have Ro- we have you know Corso to thank for this because he was really instrumental in, in saying you don't hoard this. You get it into the the manufacturing stream, and reintroduce it and and benefit from it. So he changed all but our what, lives. And but uh, question yeah. here, wasn't though you know the whole reason why Roswell wasn't put out there is they said it would cause a general panic among the people or something like that. Yeah, there's a famous NASA study, and I don't have the uh, the uh, name of it right in front of me, but basically NASA in the early days was very much aware of the fact that uh, you know these things existed and there were other intelligences. And you can go back to the overflights of Washington, D.C. in the 1940s that occurred where um, there was an alien race that literally flew right over the White House and over the Capitol and um, basically toyed around with the Air Force like they were a bunch of uh, know-nothings. And flew, you know, out flew them every time they would go up. The Air Force would go up to uh, with fighters to intercept them. These guys, these whatever these aliens were, would take off and run. And and so, uh, you know, it, it it there's just so much to it. <laughs> Sorry, repeat the question. That's no, okay. I kind of went. Re- well, the question is, wasn't the reason though that this was not publicly made aware to the world, oh, yeah. the United States, whatever? Because the government felt that it would cause a general panic among the people. That's true, and that's exactly what the NASA study showed. They they wrote it up such that they were looking at the the whole um, effect of like the Orson you know Orson Welles broadcast War of the Worlds, oh, and they yeah. tried to use that oh, kind yeah. of as the propaganda piece to say that oh my God people wouldn't be able to you know uh, be able to handle it, and. In a very limited way, there is some truth to that. Or there's a nugget of truth to it because every time a superior technology or a superior um, technological uh, culture has showed up here just in history with us, you know, for example, when we showed up, uh, you know, here in America, you know, the Native American cultures that were living here were just subsumed, you know, easily because we had so much technology. We had guns and, you know, big ships and these different technologies that got us around the planet fairly quickly. Uh, whereas they were not living that way. They had their own technologies, but basically we, we subsumed them. We went over the top of them and it, and it changed everything. That's the same kind of a theory that has happens when you deal with, you know, an alien technology coming in that, and a race that comes here. 
and makes their presence known, it takes time for humanity to, to get used to these things. And it could take upwards of a century. And we're about there. And and if you look at it, we're being, um, you know, with Star Trek and, you know, Star Wars and all the different movies and all the, you know, um, what was it, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Those movies a lot to do with getting people prepared for the idea that alien technology is out there and alien races are visiting the planet. And, you know, well over half of humanity does believe that, you know, these things are real. So I think we're about ready for this to happen. But there are those that feel on the the government side and the side that they think that it's necessary to to, uh, keep everybody in the dark because they want to hold on to the power. And unfortunately, yeah. um, you know, yeah. the secret's already out, guys. It's a little late, you know. Yes, but again, you know, there's a lot of skeptics who just say, you know, you're crazy, it doesn't exist. But one thing I think is interesting is that, you know, NASA is sending out signals every day through the satellites and different things, you know, out to other species, and they're using the Beatles song across the universe. And that beams yeah. out constantly, that song. And, you know, again, mathematical, back to, you know, why are they sending a song? Because it can break down. And mathematically speaking, many of the Beatles songs do break down to have incredible messages. Well, if you just, just a little th- if, you t- there. if you take that thought and you expand that to just the amount of radio signals that we put out as a species over the last 120 oh, years, let's say. Now, you know, it, you know, since the speed of light is a constant, it's 186,282 miles per second. And if you think about that, now you can, that's roughly 6 trillion, 6 trillion miles per year that light travels. So wow. you're looking at, uh, let's say 100 years, 600 trillion miles. So, so in all directions. So you, you've got uh, – so a light year is – so let's say we've got 120 light years. Light goes out in one direction, which radio is a form of light. So the actual, the actual distance across is we've got a sphere that's 240 light years across that we've been making our presence known in the universe to everybody out there who points a radio telescope at us. So – you know, we've kind of kind of announced that we're here, and we're making a lot of uh, a lot of folks aware that we're an intelligent species with the broadcasts we put out. So I, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if somebody showed up here and said, "Hey, we heard you. We're going to drop in." You know, and uh, by the way, you, uh, pizza's really good here, right? <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, I think it would be good in many ways if it could happen. It might take people's mind off of some of the things that consume the human race that are really quite petty, you know, and turn them into thinking of something far beyond, you know? I think it would be yeah, a well, good thing. Was, Gene Roddenberry's thought was along that lines. He was very idealistic, and um, I don't yes. like where some of the newer Star Treks have gone because they've gotten away from that. They try to be more hard-edged, gritty, and they're trying to, you know, treat it more like uh, CSI episodes than they are, uh, you know, something that's really powerful and dramatic and saying, this is amazing and this is where we're going. Uh, the thing I liked about Star Trek was that it had a, uh, an optimism. And it, it said did. that, you know, we can get past our problems. We can overcome these things that, you know, like poverty and, 
you know, uh, you know, racism, you know, you know, from all the different races against each other. We can get past that. We can become better than the people we are now. We can be better and we will be better. And we just have to you know, not give in to being cynical. And that's unfortunately, I mean, I think that the newer Star Treks, especially this new one, Star Trek Discovery, um, they try to make it more realistic and, and uh, take a kind of a more cynical view. And I'm just, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm I've never Star Trek personally original. seen it. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm the original Star Trek program had some powerful messages, and I think one of my favorite shows was City on the Edge of Forever. You know, which really oh. brought up time travel. Yeah, that that one with you know, Edith Keeler, where he yeah. fell in love with her, all the yeah. things that happened, and. I think that actually won an Emmy that for that. If not an Emmy, it was it won some sort of a, a, a very prominent award for science fiction, um, and it was one of the best written ones they ever did. Uh, I had a, a few other, but um, that one really, really uh, just stood out. You know, was, there's two or three episodes like that where they really went over and above, and right. it, it, it just became the one with Khan. You know, where oh, later yes, on he came always. back. You know, but, but, you know, for it, people who've never seen, say, the original Star Trek show, uh, you can uh, look at them on YouTube or maybe even buy them. But look for the one called Live City on the Edge of Forever because it brings up good points about time travel, which, you know, here we're going into another subject. But I, I fully believe in time travel, which a lot of people don't. Well, you know, Einstein proved that time travel was possible and it's possible in the forward direction more easily than the backward direction. But the forward direction is such that uh, we should be able to, uh, any of us, if we were uh, to live another 10, 15 years, we will have, you know, engines that can hit warp one, which is, is light speed. And if we were to travel at even a significant fraction of the speed of light, and uh, let's say we went on a four month voyage, our time inside the ship, and we were to come back, it would be literally many, many years later that we would come back yeah. and probably what we know on Earth now would be dead and it would be their descendants greeting us on the trip back. And so that's a form of time travel that exists and is very real and it's totally proven. Uh, yeah. There have been many experiments that have proven that. The real trick is going back in time and there's actually been developments in uh, a number of key areas that show it is possible that you can get... If, even if you can't physically transport back uh, with technology we have now, we can send information back in time now. We've proven it. Absolutely have proven that we can do it. And there's laboratory experiments to show that using uh, laser technologies that um, basically stir space-time in a kind of a circle. And doing that creates a kind of a tunnel to the past. And these uh, lab experiments have shown that it does work. So. Yeah, it's there. Um, yeah, the fact we can get information back there probably means eventually that it's going to be able to transport somebody back if if it hasn't been done already. Um, there's been some evidence. If you look on uh, YouTube, there's videos of people showing there was a kid. I was just seeing this the other day. There was a child that went back in time, uh, and they they sent him because it was easier to send a child back. And he had pictures of himself taken at Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and then when he came back and he, he had grown up later on, he said, oh, that was me in the picture. You know? Oh, I, <laughs> so, I read about that one. Yeah, so it, I, you know, 
I believe that nothing is impossible. It's just how much work are you going to go through to make it happen? And when it comes to technology, um, human beings are fairly, fairly uh, brilliant rays. I mean, we're, we under, we underestimate ourselves. I think a lot, you know, the fact that we were able to pull off Apollo in 10 years with the things that we did. And I was right in the middle of that. I watched my father going through the work with it. And uh, my dad actually worked, did the design on this. He actually did the design on the uh, uh, Apollo command module or service module main engine. That was the, if you looked at the Apollo spacecraft, that big giant nozzle on the end of the the whole vehicle when it was going through space, you know, uh, that was my dad's, nozzle that nozzle design where the uh combustion happened that was my dad he did that uh he actually corrected someone else's mistake and forced a design review and uh that literally saved the mission so uh it was a big deal in the house you know and we grew I up gotta with that. Interject I, I, with a little there my father uh made bolts for the aerospace industry and we sold to nasa and i went and i got to go through nasa and i they were building apollo 13 when i went and we had bolts on many of the Apollo, all the Apollo missions. And uh, oh, yeah. it was just interesting that that happened to be the one that didn't make it, the one that I saw, you know. Well, it, it was, wasn't your it fault. It was quite uh, interesting. Was a, but we were doing yeah, the that, engine that, bolts, not the technology your father was doing. Yeah, Dad was, you know? uh, my dad was mostly into solid rocket uh, propulsion, but he had a uh, liquids background, too, and, and so when they did the, uh, they would pass these these designs around, and uh, when they brought that engine forward and and showed it to my father, uh, he had a real uh, expertise with nozzle design, and he looked at it and went, if you if you fly this, you're going to blow up the uh, whole engine, you know, and uh, strand the crew. It's not going to be a very good thing for anybody. And uh, you know, sure enough, Apollo 13 had as close to an accident like that as you could get without killing the crew. Um, yeah, it's a they, miracle. But if they had flown the, the the that engine the way that it was originally configured, it would not have uh, been a very good outcome for anybody. I don't think they would have survived it. It would just been a, been a would have been a what happened to them moment, and it would have put their program back many years. And, and conceivably, the Russians could have beat us, you know. But um, you know, things changed. You know, went the way they were supposed to, and we did go there. And there's plenty of well, evidence you know, we made it there. An interesting point you bring up about technology, you know, it's a good and bad, but, you know, the the whole technology that got Apollo, all the Apollo missions to the moon, our cell phones have more technology than they did. Absolutely. Like, uh, but, but, you know, you've got it. I actually studied the computers that did a lot of the um, the work for the onboard mission controls. And they used a uh-huh. system of nouns, verbs, and it was not like any computer that you and I have ever seen. It was a it was a, a brilliantly built, hand built computer system that used uh, uh, memory cores, and and it's a whole different thing than any of you know any of these kids listening today. You know, if you go back to the com- you know early days of computing, you know, memory core uh, was just something that was like a, a matrix of these little magnets that were on wires, and it they were fairly densely packed, but nothing like the memory you and I have in our computers now. But these old analog physical computers actually could in some ways outperform what we have now. 
and uh, and they were able to survive uh, incredible amounts of punishment in space from radiation and things that, uh, forces that you experience out there. And in a number of cases, you know, there were failures that happened in, you know, for example, Apollo 12 had a, a lightning strike on the way up. And they they were hit by this lightning strike, and it literally they lost all their instrumentation. And here they are; they're flying at seventeen thousand miles an hour, ready to achieve orbit, and they have no control over the vehicle. That's a, that's in you know I have actually flown in fighter aircraft and and done air combat, and we, in the business of fighter, air, uh, I, I won't say that I'm a fighter pilot by any means. I was a ride along, but that's a moment you call serious pucker factor. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I would say so. And what ended up happening was um, uh, they still had radio, so they were able to talk it over with, with Mission Control, and they found out that they needed to flip just one switch, and it uh, overcame a problem with a piece of damaged equipment they had, and they were able to bring back their instrumentation. So the, you, know, you can sit there and you can think about how primitive those spacecraft were, but really, even today... Uh, if you look at how how well they functioned, they are still years ahead of their time. Yeah, they didn't have the the capacity that uh, we have for incredibly dense electronics. That, you know, like I have on my watch, you know, my watch right now, or what we have, you know, in in even the most simple computer that you know is consumer grade. But for what they did, um, I would recommend to anybody go go out on Wikipedia and go learn about the Apollo computers, and you will be you will actually be surprised at, at how sophisticated they were. They could actually shut them down in the middle of an execution, reboot them, bring them back up, and they would continue right off where they left off. And they were that advanced. Now, there's no computer I'm aware of in today that can do that that easily and that quickly. So they had some advantages over our current technology just on the basis of the, the philosophy behind them. So, yeah, well, and I'm sorry, I'm going. No, it was a different yeah. time that, uh, you know, you and I, especially me, you know, coming up through John Kennedy, you know, his vision. And he was, he instilled in us such thoughts that we, nothing was not obtainable. And, you know, going to the moon and all of that, you know, and he made us really reach beyond ourselves and, he was, I think, a big push of what happened in terms of pushing the scientists and everyone to do their very best. And it just seemed like people had such a, a gung-ho attitude and really wanted to do something different, you know? That's exactly right. That's, it was a, it was real, There was a real spirit in the era of we've got to do this. And, oh, and yeah. it was... It, and I think it was even more so than just some, yeah, we're going to beat the Russians thing. I think it was more... Hey, we can do this. We've got the technology, and the thing that's got me—I'm um, hoping that we're start, starting to see the, some of the same thinking going on at NASA. Having worked with them for years, I—I I was always surprised at like, why are you guys just sitting around the low Earth orbit all this time? And, and I literally worked my entire career from 1985 till this year, watching them and waiting, going, "When are you guys going to go back to the moon? When are you going to go back to Mars?" You know, and actually, they took some people there. That. And, and what and is I would, the reasoning, would you say? I think the reasoning was is they lost the political will, and they were um, – and not only that, uh, the country got to a social and political mindset that was much more oriented to uh, just dealing with things here rather than looking at technology and space and exploration uh, in the manner that it should have been. And um, 
Yeah, and there are a lot of people that are going to have different viewpoints, but I'm entitled to my own. And, right. I, you know, for every dollar we put in space, we got 17 back. So, well, I mean, yeah, how many government and, programs do you know that actually actually made money back? <laughs> and and it's like that's that's the one that you want. You want the one that pays you back, you know, for going out and colonizing the solar system and finding new materials out there on Mars and on the moon that we never imagined were there. That's the, the kind of thinking that, you know, that you, you can look at and go, wow, we can really expand. We can move out there. We can do new things. We can get off. You know, we can get all people off the Earth and quit the overpopulation thing, and we can move into the solar system and learn more about it and live in it and uh, get and off this perhaps, one block. And perhaps encounter the UFOs that are friendly, you know, in the process, you know, is my thinking yeah. of it. You know, because, well, you, know, I mean, you know, I believe there are friendly ones, you know. I don't think they're all bad, oh, but I do believe, like you, know, you there are the evil well, you know, I mean, if you really want to think about it, you know, we've got all the archaeological evidence plus uh, ancient history and contemporary history, uh, evidence of the, them arriving, and even even uh, evidence of them having wars in front of of you know primitive man and uh, even medieval human beings, uh, you know, in, in Europe seeing these things fight each other, but they never messed with us too much. They were more interested in what they were fighting about, and just we just happened to be onlookers. But I'll cite this. The fact that we're still here after millions of the years of visitations, the fact that we're still here and we're left alone, I kind of think speaks for itself. Uh, yeah, it says something, but I'm not quite sure what. I, I mean, I'm like, oh. I don't really understand. Yeah. What it's all about. I just don't. And I don't claim to know it all. I think that you know the fact that they they've had the capacity to come in and do all kinds of terrible things to us over all of that vast span of time, and they really haven't done anything too negative to us. Yeah, there's probably been some things that have been you know less than wonderful, but as a species, we've survived and even thrived, and in some cases, we've been helped by them. And I do think that. uh, they're trying to help us come to a better point of view, uh, which is what I think Gene Roddenberry um, kind of picked up on. And there's even some evidence that Gene Roddenberry actually met some of them. And, you know, there's stories about him ha- having been part of a group that actually got some of the philosophy for Star Trek from them and asked to make it part of the general media. And that, that's what he did. And he did an amazing thing. I mean, it changed my life. I mean, I, I had not believed that I would actually ever go into the business of rocketry, uh, but if not for Star Trek and my father, um, I, I finally, finally one day I was just, you know, I was in a computer company in Sacramento uh, doing accounts receivable programming. It was boring as hell. And this, this, uh, my father popped on the phone and said, "Hey, got a job opening out here. You want it?" And I went, "Cool." Next thing I knew, I was working for a company called Aerojet Tactical, and we were working on uh, uh, sidewinders and um, all kinds of rocket rockets that you put on fighter aircraft and and uh, conventional uh, and uh, air-to-ground missiles, you know, like uh, Mavericks. But then I went on to you know work on space shuttle and you know Titan and Deltas, and uh, you know I saw it all, and uh, and it really was a wonderful experience, and I had a ball, you know. I'm lucky to have gone through 32 years. I actually exceeded my service record by six months. He he was in the same company, 
but uh, I went into the IT world, and but I was in the middle of all kinds of programs where I developed technology for uh, secure file transfer systems. And uh, I got famous because of that. I actually uh, yeah, became very well known in the aerospace business for a thing I invented called Aeroframe. And so, uh, uh, you know, I, I was working with all kinds of agencies and different people, and, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But, you know, the the thing is, aerospace up until about the last two years was always kind of free of cynicism. And I think with the way this country has gone in the last 10 years, there's a kind of a cynical attitude in a lot of things. And I hope that the young ones that are coming up behind us kind of latch on to the optimism and keep it going, you know, because I worked my ass off for 32 years and I was, I was really hoping to see us go to Mars while I was still in there, you know? And I think if they can just be optimistic and not take the negative view that, and realize that we can't get off this world, we can get along with each other. We're all one species. And not only that, we're going to meet other human beings who just don't human. I think they're out there and I think we're going to be uh, getting along and we're, we're almost family, you know, and if they think well, about it that way, point. I think we have a future. You know, I, you know, coming from a spiritual standpoint here, you know, I believe whatever you want to call God, the creator, you know, he created it all, is my belief, well, so, you know. And um, that's why, you know, I have trouble with religion because it's so vast and you can't limit God. Because he is vast, you know, and that goes into the universes, to all the galaxies, to all that is out there, you know. And that's why I always say, you know, you think of it. One day I was doing a meditation, and I just asked in this meditation, um, what would it feel like if there was no God? And I was out in the universe, so to speak, you know, astral projecting, and I just got this feeling of incredible coldness came over me. It was like nothing I can ever explain. And there was the answer of what it would feel like with no God. You can't say, you know, I can't say I've seen him or anything like that, but I know what God is and what he does. That I can say. And that ties in to me all of this, spirituality, UFOs, the paranormal, there's so much of it. It's all tied to something much greater than us. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the universe did not happen on a on a uh, on a random impulse. There's a purpose to no. it, and there's structure to it. And when you stop and realize that, uh, you know, you look at how galaxies work and, and how uh, the universe is structured and how the chemical elements have all been formed, and and all these different things that come together to make us possible and other life possible throughout the cosmos, I, I do believe that there's a unifying force, a unifying intelligence, and that is called God. And if you look at the, exactly. you know, the Masonic, if you take the Masonic Lodge, they take a kind of a, a point of view of the, when they have the big G in their symbol, that's basically the grand geometer. And it's their, it's their way of saying God without getting into the religious aspect. But I don't throw religion so much out with the bathwater because if you realize it, you know, Christianity has its point of view, Islam has its point of view, all these different religions have their point of view. You know, Taoism. Sure. You know, they've got a point you know, of Hinduism, view, but it's just they've people got their that point of don't view, but, want to believe beyond is what I'm saying. 
you know, there are well, people. Well, you know, when you get you know, into people, yeah, you get into people that just say, but you have to believe my way or else. That's where I have my difficulties. But I have no problem with a Christian coming along and having their point of view and uh, and saying what they believe. And that's their their point of view. Um, and they've worked hard to get to that point of view. But, you know, that's one path to God. But that's what all the religions are, is all all these different religions are just but one path to God. And there are many paths. But they're all worshiping the same God. They're all bowing to the same God. Some people do, you know, I've always felt believe, need to have a belief system that has some structure around it so that they can, you know, deal with it. And not only that, they have a community. And that's the value right. of, of organized religion in, in many ways. Unfortunately, with the flip side of the coin comes the, oh, you're not of the body, you know, and you don't right. believe the same but, way I do. You're in well, right. Again, you like know, you say, you, the unity. People need to feel a part of something, and that's what it yeah. you know it gives them. But if we could feel, truly feel that we are a part of that divine being, that all-encompassing God, whatever you want to call it, we would realize we are all one. You know, even here, and we don't have to go into well, the spirit world, be dead, to realize we're all one. You know, if we really well, truly grasp that. Gosh, wouldn't it be a wonderful world? There wouldn't be wars, fighting, you know, hatred, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, I mean, people act like, oh, I killed somebody you know, in war. Let's say we have a war and you kill somebody and you got rid of the person. You didn't get rid of the spirit. You didn't get rid of who they were. They still exist as a human being. They're just a person without a body now. And they're going to, in my belief system, that, you know, eventually they do reincarnate and come back and live again to continue on with their journey spiritually to grow towards God. And I, and I do believe that. And I've seen so much from the paranormal view. I mean, I grew up in a family, you know, you know my dad was the scientist. My mother was the, the, the medium. And so I had both these two completely antithetical viewpoints that, somehow merged into me and, you know, and my sister and we just came to, you know, the point of view is like, well, no one, no one point of view has it all. So yeah, I'm seeing spirits at five years old and I'm actually hearing and talking to them. And these things have happened to me all my life. And I began to realize that um, there's a lot more than science is willing to talk about. And there's a lot more than even religion can handle. But, um, you know, yeah, you know, when you, your story, I interrupt here for a second it's kind of similar to me i had no one to talk to about it but i was seeing and hearing things and my parents were busy hard working people and you know they really wouldn't have you know believed it if i would have said it so i just kept it all to myself but i i was the same way seeing it hearing it you know it was in our uh, in my family. It was such a, a common gift. I mean, we each had our own little little unique uh, uh, abilities. But you know, my family on my mother's side were Scottish Highlanders. So uh, you know, my dad was Portuguese, uh, but he was uh, Portuguese from the Azores, and they most of the family were Vikings that had landed there. So definitely, uh, you know, there was a, a lot of Celtic, you know, uh, influence in the family, but. Um, we were just matter of fact about it. We never even thought about the fact that, you know, hey, this is unusual. It was just like, oh, yeah, did you see something? Oh, what, well, what was that? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. It was only later that I realized that, hey, this is not, not everybody sees this stuff or hears these things, you know. And, uh, and then I came to, I finally, when I started realizing, uh, I think it was, I was in, I was in my 
late 40s when my dad had his stroke. And I finally decided to examine it critically with a lot of scientific you know, viewpoint. And I went out and started doing paranormal work. And when I started investigating and getting evidence that I could not explain, explain away scientifically, that's when I realized okay, there's really a lot more here that's so fascinating. And, and I got into the whole EVP world. And then, then uh, it really amped up, and I started you know, getting direct face-to-face encounters with spirits, and it was just amazing. And I began to realize that you know, God created this whole structure, all of this, you know, so that we live our lives and we have a point to our lives, and you come in with a mission, and then when you leave, you, you get a review, you look at what you've done, and then you come back and you try again. And you... And the, you know, being afraid of death and being afraid of living is, I think, the the, the greatest waste of uh, humanity there is. Because, you know, we do get the chance to come back and live again. We do get the chance to be uh, better people the next time around, or make a better choice, or or learn something new. It's 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 a school. That's what this is all about. And God created That's, it so that we can. I agree. Learn. You know. Are you know so. Yeah. Well, I, I try to help people understand that, that that is really our purpose here, is to learn, is to grow, is to better ourselves so that, you know, we advance on the other side and maybe we don't have to come back. Like, I'm working real hard that I don't have to come back. You know, whatever i got to do, I'm going to do it here so I don't come back to this planet. I've had enough. You know, it's been a rather rough ride for me. And uh, that's my viewpoint of it. But, you know, for everyone, if they could realize that, you know, we're not just here to work, to go to have a job, get a family, that sort of thing. That is not the whole purpose of life. It is uh, far beyond that. And loving ourselves, turning in and really loving ourselves and having that connection to God, those are the keys. You know, it's funny, I was a a young man, uh, about 28 years old, when this uh, handyman came to our house here in Shingle Springs, where I live, and he uh, was one of the wisest people I ever uh, ever met, and we were talking, and he was asking me, what do you intend to do with your life? And I said, well, I don't know, I'm just, you know, doing this programming work, you know, kind of floating along in life. He goes, don't you have a plan? And I went, no, And and he said, he gave me an assignment. So he said, write down a list of things you want to try in your life and go dream. So I did it. And I wrote down that list and um, I made a list that covered, you know, two pages. And uh, over the years, that list has grown and flexed and changed. But I've done so many things that most people have never done just because of that conversation. And the important lesson that he taught me was that you're here to live. You're not here to be safe. You're here to live. So I've flown exactly. to Hawaii and walked on volcanoes right i literally stood in 1994 next to uh, an eruption of lava going right by my feet and i was literally getting parboiled but uh my shoes were even melting but i actually had the experience of being right next to a major lava flow and uh, at one point happened to run for our lives but that was another story uh but i've flown air combat you know here in 2014 uh, i always i had wanted to be a fighter pilot and couldn't because of my uh i have a minor heart condition and so I never could be an F-14 uh, driver. You know, I wanted to, to be in the U.S. Navy. But uh, I ran into a guy at work who had a uh, Warbird. It was a prop-based fighter called the CJ-6, made in uh, communist China. And a lot of guys here in the United States buy them. And we actually went and flew against in a, a combat uh, a, arena called uh, Desert Thunder 10 
down in Southern California, we were up against the best in the world. I, I was flying as a, as a uh, as a Rio in the back of his plane, spotting uh, enemy aircraft, and we were uh, literally head-to-head combat with some of the best fighter pilots in the world. And I did that because I had it on the list, you know. And I kept manifesting for it, and it happened. So I, you know, I, I if I could give anybody advice, put down a list of dreams you have, and then go out and and, and the thing is, make them achievable things that you conceivably could do. And you'll be surprised how the universe kind of wake up and say, oh, we'll make that opportunity available to you, and it will just come up. And my God, you know, you have to for a lifetime. You know, I'm hearing a a feedback here. I don't know if you're hearing that, but I do agree fully with what you're saying. You know, and if people could have that vision, that no matter what your circumstances or conditions or whatever, you can do far more than you think. And if you ask, like you say, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, they will listen. The angels, they're going to help you. They're going to come in. That's, I've seen oh, it happen. Yeah, it, yeah. the subject of angels is interesting to me because uh, so many people have seen them. And I've actually had a few, not too many experiences, but I actually had an EVP set where uh, these angels came through and identified themselves and said they were there to help me. You know, in my journey working on uh, paranormal work, um, mainly, I mean, like I alluded to earlier, I got into this because of my father. And I just wanted to really understand, you know, what happens when you die? And uh, they popped in. um, It was, what, 2009, uh, 2009 time frame when they did that. And uh, and they said some things and made some predictions and they all came true. And uh, there are angelic forces out there, and when people do, you know, do uh, pray to them or do work with them, good things happen. And I don't think God it's does this all by himself. That there's you a know, structure out there, and it's it's like a corporate uh, thing. You know, God's at the top, and you know, he's CEO, and then you got all these potentates and different people yeah, that you know, different groups of uh, angelic beings that can uh, make things happen, and they have power, and they answer to God. And yeah. <laughs> It's really cool I stuff. Agree. I agree. I always call angels the big guns of God because they're out there on the front lines and they're doing the work. You know, it's just the way I always see it. You know, and uh, it is quite interesting. I've had, of course, contact with angels, and they are real for people who wonder about all this stuff. All of it is real. It's just, you know, opening your mind, expanding yourself to believe. Trusting, having a little faith that there's something more out there than just our world. Well, we're coming down to the end of our program, John, and I thank you so much. You've, and I'm sure, enlightened a lot of people. And I know you've got your show, Ghost Rider Investigations, and you're about to come back, I believe, on radio. And uh, am I correct? Yep. Well, I'm I'm Good. looking at getting back in. Uh, I'm currently readjusting my life to the uh, to the new retirement thing, but uh, yeah, I'm doing that. And I'm also I've got a uh, a uh, per, uh, paranormal and UFO channel on YouTube called Light Five Media, and also I, I run a, a weekly channel about just kind of real life stuff called Afterburner, and so I do that. Oh, but uh, yeah, I'm getting back on the air, and it should be sometime by the beginning of the year. Wonderful. Well, we're down to our last few seconds. I thank you for being with us. Thank you for taking time out of your day. And it's been a pleasure and so much knowledge. And I hope many people listen to this program and get the benefits of it. I know, Lena, you're there 
probably your little mouth open. You're going, what? <laughs> but I thank you for being here anyway. I always like Lena's support. So I thank everybody for being here uh, today. You know, this uh, is a great program. And thank you. And to anyone listening in the future, may you be blessed by all that you have heard. And I thank you. And everyone have a good night. All right. Okay, Michelle. Ah, I'm trying to end it. <laughs>